This week on Heads and Tails, Luke Cookson teaches us that you don't always have to take no for an answer. This is Kevin Som, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. Thanks for tuning in to episode 7 of the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm interviewing Luke Cookson today. He's a triathlete and he's gone through some knee injuries. He has actually also had open heart surgery, but now he's he's back to doing Ironmans and triathlons. And uh, we're going to learn from, from his story today to kind of see how you can overcome your own obstacles uh, in, your, in your own life. So... Lou, can you start by talking about what your athletic background was, like what, you, what sports you played growing up, and kind of what led you to start doing triathlons? Um, I really wasn't an athlete growing up. I mean, I, um, I did basically nothing. I grew up in a small rural town in Pennsylvania, uh, went to a small high school. Uh, to give you an uh, idea of how small it was, we didn't even have a football team. So the only thing I did in high school was be part of the soccer team. And when I say be part of the team, I really didn't play. I mean, I was what is commonly known as a bench warmer. Uh, okay. um, the only time I was able to get into a game. Every team needs one of those. Yeah, teams. well, the only time I was ever able to get into the game was if we had like a five-goal lead and it was the second half and the uh, coach felt safe enough to put me in. Okay. And uh, the primary reason for that is I couldn't run. Um, so. Um, what do you mean you couldn't run? Like your endurance wasn't there? or Well. It was more fast? I wasn't fast, you know. Um, I was, you know, primarily a defensive, you know, on, on you know, because I, I couldn't run, so uh, that was the safest place to put me. So, um, you know, so I finished up my high school, you know, you know, sports career, if you could call it that, by, you know, just being part of the team. Um, uh, went off to college, did nothing in college. After college, I was your typical couch potato. Nothing active, you mean? But did, did nothing in college, right? Like didn't like. Go to the gym, didn't no, go for no, runs or anything. No, no. Um, I did a little skiing. Um, okay. But you know that was you know pretty much it. Nothing, you know nothing. You know I wasn't considered a, a good skier. I just went out in the slope and you know snowplow around a little bit and All stuff right. like that. But um, so then after college, I was uh, your typical couch potato. Uh, concerned about you know my uh, you know raising a family and uh, putting food on the table and you know come home from work grab a beer and sit in front of the TV right and whether you want to call it a midlife crisis or uh, whatever but at the age of 39 uh, this was in uh, 1989 uh, I was disgusted with myself I was five foot nine I weighed over 200 pounds I was fat and lethargic and disgusted with myself and so what was like the trigger like you just woke up one morning and you're like, holy crap, or you sat down on the couch one last time and you're like, I can't do this anymore, or you were feeling bad, or what, what was it that really was like lit a fire on you? Know, I, I mean, I, I can't going. say there was one thing, I, one thing in general. Um, as I said before, I, I don't know if it was a midlife crisis or I just knew that I had to change my life around. Uh, the kids were a little bit older and didn't need my, um, you know, day-to-day input as, as much. And um, like I said, I was I was overweight and, you know, you know, my pants weren't, you know, clothes weren't fitting right and stuff. And I think probably one thing that, you know, maybe nudged me on was the fact that the town that I was living at, was I saw an advertisement they were doing a triathlon. Now, I had been fascinated by the sport of triathlon ever since I watched the um, telecast of the Ironman World Championship on the uh, uh, Worldwide of Sports. And now, what, what, was, what was it about that event that really captured your attention? Um, well, <clears throat> a couple of years prior to that, 
there was a triathlete, a female triathlete by the name of Julie Moss, and she collapsed uh, within sight of the finish line and crawled across the finish line. I think I saw, I've seen like clips of that. Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, what kind of idiot would put themselves through that kind right. of torture? Little you know? did you know you'd become that idiot. Yeah, really. Uh, not although I never crawled. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I said, what, you know, like I said, the, the, the sport stuck in my mind. And I had my uh, swimming merit badge from, you know, when I was in the Boy Scouts, so I knew how to swim. Yeah. I had a old three-speed Schwinn bike in the, in the garage. I had a kid's seat in the back. They used to take kids for a bike ride. Everybody knows how to ride a bike. Yep. And I could run. Hell, everybody knows how to run, right? One foot in front of the other. That's it. You know, everybody can run. So I said, oh, let me, let me, you know, let me try this. I mean, it was right there in town. You know, let me do it. So That takes some confidence, though, going from uh, being a, what would you call a couch potato to just saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to do this triathlon. That's Yeah, but i am always been a person that needs that carrot at the end of the stick to, no, to motivate okay, me. Okay, need that incentive, right? Exactly, and like I said, I wanted to I wanted to lose weight, and I needed something to prod me into losing weight. So I figured if I knew if I wanted to do this triathlon, I have to get in better shape. So um, I just used the uh, the swimming and the biking and the running as a way of you know losing that weight and getting and and being able to complete this triathlon. Right. So as soon as I crossed the finish line, I was hooked. And I knew this was something. What was, what was the feeling that you had when you crossed that finish line? It was nothing that I had ever felt before. I mean, I mean, like I said, I, I was on a high school soccer team, mm -hmm. but that was a team sport. Right. And I was, it was dependent upon the coach putting me in and the other players feeding me the ball and, yep. and me trying to, you know, and, but it was, wasn't anything that I was doing on my own. Right. Um, this was something I had control of. Uh, my results, good or bad, was determined by what I did, and it was all me. When I, you know, whatever place I, you know, I finished in that race was just dependent upon me. Right. I had control. And what you put into it. And what I put into it. Right. And can we actually backtrack to talk about how you trained for this this first triathlon? Um, I did what. 90% of the people nowadays do when they want to get better at something. I just went out and swam, bike, and run. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, like I said, well, I had, like you followed some method. You just kind of just went out well, there and got you, after it. You have to remember, Kevin, this was 1989. The Internet wasn't around. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no Internet, okay? No, I mean, no coaches. I mean, um, you know, we're in this you know, wonderful facility now to coach people. They didn't have places like this back when I was growing up, especially where I was growing up in Pennsylvania, maybe in New York or some of the bigger cities, they might have had, you know, fitness clubs, but certainly not where I was. Right. Um, so, I mean, I didn't have access to coaching and, and expert training. There are a few books out there, uh, and I remember buying a book about triathlon. I was reading a book, okay, you know, you do this, do this, do this, and I had a rudimentary plan in there, which I followed, but uh, I since learned that being good at a sport is much, 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 much more involved than just following a plan and going out there and doing it. You kind of have got to have something within you. Well, I wrote an. Um, this is getting a little ahead of myself, but uh, I wrote this um, um, article 
I mean, and I can, I can a little bit later on. I can tell you how I came up with this. The do, eight com- do you have access to this article still? Like, can you? Is it online, and I could post it? To uh, the- yeah, I haven't. I have. I'll give you a copy. Okay, I, I'll, I'll, at the end, yeah. I'll email it to you. You know, have a copy. To okay. It. But uh, like I said, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But I've been very, very fortunate in life in the fact that I've been exposed to some of the best athletes in the world. Um, one of the first people that, uh, per, one of the first persons who I was introduced to was a, uh, you know, a, a Dave Scott. Um, um, I was, uh, I did the um, uh, Chicago Mrs. T's triathlon in 2000, and I'm sorry, 2001. And at the time it was the largest triathlon in the world. And uh, I came in third in my age group. Oh, and wow. I was doing that race um, for the Leukemia Society team in training. My nephew had leukemia and uh, been helped a lot by the Leukemia Society. So just, you know, to give back a little bit, uh, I decided to do a fundraiser for, with team in training. And I did the Mrs. T's triathlon and came in third. And they said, hey, this guy's pretty good. Do you want to be a coach? And I said, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted to share what I had learned over the years um, about, you know, uh, being a good athlete. So uh, I said, yeah. Now, that gave me, exposed me to Dave Scott. Uh, in order to be a, a coach for a team in training, uh, Dave Scott was the person who certified me as a coach. Okay. So I had direct access to him, you know, six-time Ironman world champion and one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. I mean, he had a mind like a steel trap. Wow. Uh, and not only that, but he was the first person to introduce science into the sport of endurance racing. So I learned uh, an awful lot from him. He, I mean, he, he, he taught me a lot. With this knowledge, I became a little bit better. You know, used his knowledge to become a little bit better. And I qualified and went to the half Ironman World Championships. It was there that I met Mark Allen again six-time Ironman world champion, uh, and he, he invited me to be a member of his elite racing team. Oh, wow. So, again, I had... Surrounding re- yourself with people who are pretty high-caliber athletes. Exactly. So, I learned a little bit more from him. So then, he introduced me to a person by the name of Phil Mathetone. Phil Mathetone was like the father of heart rate training, and Phil was Mark Allen's coach when he finally broke through and beat Dave Scott. I mean, Dave and Mark had raced many times at Kona in Hawaii at the World Championships, and every year Dave had Mark's number and beat him like three years in a row. So Mark knew that he had to do something different. What he had been doing wasn't working, so he hired Phil, and Phil completely changed around his philosophy of training. And following those training techniques, Mark finally broke through and beat Dave and then went on to win, you know, six more or a total of six Ironman World Champions. Wow. So, so at his tutelage, that got me a little bit better, okay? And um, then I went on to um, to uh, qualify, or win, win a qualifying Ironman, went on to the Ironman World Championships where I came in 10th in the world, 4th American. Um, Nice. So, was this all before you started having the your knee injuries, or yeah? Was no, this was after. This was after. Yes. Okay. I mean, you know, so you had asked, you know, what was my background? What I, what had I done? Right. And I said I didn't do anything. I mean, because I, 
you know, I, like I said, everybody knows how to run. So I figured if I wanted to get better, I'd just go out and run a little bit longer. Right. So I went out and ran a little bit longer and, you know, got a little bit better. And, but I knew I wanted to get better yet. So I, instead of going out and just running and, and cycling and swimming a little bit longer, I went out and ran bike and swim a little bit harder. Right. So um, doing that longer, harder training routine, I followed that for about 10 years. And I accomplished two things. One, it got me, uh, you know, on the podium at a couple of small local races. Okay. However, if I went to any bigger races, regional races, had more and better competition, I get my butt kicked. And uh, that was because they had different training methods. That well, or just I, way more experience. I, I, at the time, I didn't know how. I mean, we didn't really didn't share. You know, I said, you know, and then go up to the person who beat me and say, "Gee, what yeah. what were you doing you that do? allowed yeah. you to beat me?" Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. Uh, but. You know, I just thought that, you know, I wasn't training hard enough or, or long enough. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I just followed that training, longer training, harder regime for, you know, like 10 years. And it got me, like I said, some marginal results. But the other thing that got me was multiple knee operations. And it was after my last knee operation. What kind of knee operations were they? Arthroscopic. So, you had like meniscus issues going yeah, on? Yeah, okay. primarily meniscus issues. So each time I went back in there and they just, you know, snip, snip a little bit, you know, with the, with the, uh, with the torn, uh, torn meniscus. Um, so it was after my last knee operation in 2000. I went to the doctor for a post-op visit and uh, he was examining me. And after uh, he was finishing examining me, I said, all right, well, when can I start running again? He goes, well, you can't run anymore. Said, what do you mean I can't run anymore? Said, so what was your initial reaction when he told you you couldn't run anymore? Were you, like, what emotions were going through your head at that point in time? Oh, I was shocked. I mean, here's a sport that I was, you know, dedicated 10 years of my life to. And I, I enjoyed the triathlon scene. I mean, had made a few, you know, friends in the sport, right. and I just enjoyed competing. Um, and now I was told that I couldn't do it anymore. So no athlete wants to hear that. So I took my X-rays and went off to see a couple other orthopedic surgeons, all of which told me the same, same thing: same, yeah. can't run anymore. Um, they said, you know, you, you've worn away your cartilage, and what you know, um, you know, most of your meniscus has been cut away, and the knee was too unstable. I mean, when I had one doctor come and say, well, the reason that you had knee issues is because you're bow-legged. Um, you, you know, I can fix that. I'll break both your legs. And I can reset them so they're straight and you won't oh, push Oh, sure, sign me up. That sounds <laughs> great. I mean, like I said, I, I didn't know a whole lot about, you know, what I was supposed to do, but that didn't sound like, you know, yeah, right. Sounds so, awful. You know, so, you know, here I am. I, you know, I'm, I mean, really, uh, you, know, you know, disgusted with what had happened to me and, and, and upset. And I stumbled upon an advertisement from an ART practitioner, a sports chiropractor, who was offering free gait, running gait analysis. So what, for people who are listening, I mean, I don't really know what running gait analysis is, so can you explain what that is before you, you get into that? Yeah, that, what he did was, he just put me on a treadmill and went in, made it, you know, free, you know, what I've got to lose, right? Right. So I made an appointment, went in, he says, all right, get on a treadmill, set up a camera, and videotaped me running. After a few minutes, uh, he said, all right, you can get off now. He set me down in front of his, uh, you know, computer monitor and, uh, and, and played it back. He goes, oh, you see that? I said, see what? I just see myself running. He goes, no, you're running wrong. I said, what do you mean wrong? You just run. I didn't know it was the right way of running or the wrong way of running. Right. He goes, oh, no, you're a heavy heel striker. You overpronate. You've got muscular imbalances. You have balance problems in general. You're standing too upright. You're rotating your upper body. He went through this whole litany of things I was doing wrong. So what was it like to hear all that negative feedback? 
I mean, I was, I had, these were terms that I'd never heard before. Right. You know, I mean, I hadn't, what do you mean heel striker? What the hell is a heel striker? Okay. Pronation. What's, what's, pro, what's pronation? All right. So, I mean, I, these, these were terms that, that were completely new to me and I didn't know what he was talking about. So he, you know, explained the whole thing to me and went through a little bit about the physics of running. So, so I popped a question to him, can I run again? And he said, well, I can't say for sure whether you can or you can't based upon the knee problems, you know, that you have, but, you know, you won't know until you try. So he suggested that I find somebody to teach me how to run. He says, you know, get somebody to eliminate your muscular imbalances and strengthen your sports-specific muscles. And then after you do that, see what happens. So that's what I did. So who would you go to for that? I, I, uh, I think the woman's name that I hired initially was uh, Susan Smith. She was a, a pretty prominent distance runner, you know, in the area that I was living in. Okay. And then I just joined the YMCA. So she taught you how to run the correct way, is what you're saying? She started. I mean, you know, you know it's not one of those kind of things where you go in and say, okay, this is what you do. We're talking about changing muscle memory. Right. And yeah, it's something that you've been doing for X amount, how many yeah, years? Yeah, this is something point? I've been doing for, you know, 45, 50 years. Right. You know, so, um, you know, you just can't change the way you've been doing something overnight your whole life or something, overnight. Yeah. I mean, I had one coach tell me that it takes 20,000 repetitions to break bad muscle memory and reimplement good muscle memory. Um, Dave Scott told me it takes six months. All right. I've since found out by working with people and be a, being a certified running coach myself now that it's really dependent upon the individual. I mean, some individuals who come to me with a athletic background. Right, they're more in tune with their body. They're, exactly, they're more in tune. They have, they have more of what I call body awareness. Right. And they, they have a much better mind-body connection, and they can use that mind-body connection to change their muscle memory. Other people coming, you know, to me that you know, have, have really hasn't participated in sports and don't have that mind body connection it takes them longer it's really an individual and again it's dependent upon how much work you you put in uh so so anyway i feel a little bit like at that you know so i now i depended upon you know um the, the my running coach and my you know um personal trainer but all of a sudden these people are saying well gee you've got to change the way you do this so i delved into kinetics uh, and started learning how and, and sports physiology so you kind of took a couple steps back right you were told that you couldn't run again and you were at a certain level of you know in your like athletic abilities and you so you kind of had to take a step back and relearn and kind of build yourself a, a bigger base to work off of to kind of to move forward i i i describe this I felt like, if you're familiar with the movie Matrix, I felt a little bit like Neo, and Morpheus just gave me the red pill and made me see the world as it really was. Okay. So now I realize that there's a lot more to sport, whatever it was, whatever your sport is, uh, than just going out and doing it longer and harder. Um, and that's when that's what it, uh, started me to write these eight components. And then the eight components, you have cardiovascular. Now, a lot of people just go out and just go as hard as they can, as long as they can. But there's really five different heart rate zones, and different take, things take place in each one of these five heart rate zones. Right, there's more to it. So, so you have to do different intensity training at different times to achieve different results. So, and there's strength training. And, you know, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I didn't realize it at the time. But if you have strong muscles, those muscles have to, don't have to work as hard when you're out there doing your sport. 
If they don't have to work as hard, you're not building up as much lactic acid and as much waste byproducts. So that will not only allow you to go further and faster using less energy, but you're also going to recover quicker and be able to go out and do another workout in like the next day or maybe the same day without, you know, without being worn down. But the most important aspect of strength training is the stronger your muscles are, the stronger the ligaments and tendons are. And that's generally, as you know from working here, that's generally where most of your injuries occur. Right. So you want to build up your muscles to build up your ligaments and tendons. So even if your biomechanics aren't perfect, you're still going to be able to keep on going without getting injured. Right, your joints are still stable. Your joints are still stable. And my joints at that point were definitely not stable, so I really had to work on the strength training to you know, build up as much stabilization in my knees as possible to offset the fact that I didn't have any meniscus holding my joints in place. Right. All right. So then, you know, then there's um, biomechanics. And the best way I describe biomechanics is would you drive your car for a long distance at a high rate of speed if you knew the wheels were out of alignment? Well, of course you wouldn't. Right. I mean, uh, not only would you not get as good a gas mileage, but you know you're going to wear out your tires prematurely. So, and that's basically what happened to me. I was running with poor biomechanics, and I wore out my knees prematurely. Yeah. Then you have balance. I mean, you know, balance is really, really, really important in all aspects of sport, uh, especially running. So you, I, you know, work to improve my balance, flexibility. You know, the flex, more flexible your joints are, the more easily they go through the range of motion. Okay, and again, don't tax out the ligaments and tendons as as, as much. You got to have speed in your joints. You got to work your fast twitch muscles. Unfortunately, as we get older, we lose our fast twitch muscle capabilities. So you got to, you know, work on inc increasing that 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 speed in your in your joints. And then finally, the last two components or nutrition, which is really, really important, and mental. I'm sure you've heard the saying that endurance sports is 90% mental. Well, if it, mental is such a large capacity of endurance sports, why don't more trainers and coaches introduce mental training along with the physical aspects of it? Right, I've yeah, read a lot of people forget that aspect. I guess. I, I've read a number of books from sports psychologists, you know, about how do you train the mind to be better? So you've got to uh, incorporate these eight components. So once I started delving into all of these components and finding them out from Dave and Scott, and so you Phil, really immersed yourself in all this this new knowledge and really, you know, took this into your training. Exactly. I mean, I was, I, I had a handicapped. My knees were trashed. I can't go out and run 30, 40 miles a week the way some of these other people can. Uh, um, the only time I run on a hard surface is in a race. Um, so I have to do other things to make myself more efficient and, and more competitive due to the fact that I can't run. So that's how I was able to overcome my knee handicaps or the problems with my knees by you know, perfecting these eight components and introducing them into my training and into my racing and allowing me to get to the Ironman World Championships. And, um, you know, despite the fact that I had bad knees and a bad heart, which I didn't know about at the time. Right. That, that's crazy that you, you got even better after being told that you couldn't run ever again and yeah. now you're doing better than you ever have in like, triathlons. Yeah, I went from a marginal athlete with two good knees, with 10 years of training, you know, who had trained for 10 years. And within four years, I was top 10 in the world. That's crazy. I think that's really good takeaway for people who are listening to this, that, you know, sometimes you need to just build a bigger base. If you're not doing something right, you might be getting away with it for now. 
but eventually it's going to catch up to you. But if you start from a, you know, a, a, by building yourself a bigger base by going through all those components that you talked about yep. with strength and balance and biomechanics, that in the in the long run you're going to be better off. Absolutely, right. absolutely, because it, it's a sad fact. I mean, this you know, 79% of the runners get injured every year. Right. I mean, 79% of the runners get injured every year is because less than 10% run with good biomechanics. Yeah. So when you combine poor biomechanics with lack of knowledge about these other things, it, it you know it means that seventy nine percent of runners get injured every year. Right. Yeah. All right. I, I coach CrossFit and I, there's a similar like injury rate in yeah. CrossFit as well, but it's the same exact thing. It's it's because people are too impatient and they want to see the results and go up and wait like really quickly. And they have poor form doing it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they they worked on their mobility and they worked on you know having the the proper you know mechanics with all their movements, if they started that from the beginning and then worked themselves up, they would be like you know ex- yeah. exponentially better you know in the long. Oh, run. absolutely. Well, yeah. you you and I have the same problems. I mean, we're we're both coaches. My biggest problem as a coach is not to get my athletes to do something. It's to get them from doing too much. Right, yeah. All right? And, on, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate that the very same mental makeup that gets these A-type people involved in these sports, whatever it is, all right, it's the very same thing that holds them back from being as good as they could be and, and gets them injured. Right. And I think that from a recovery standpoint, like a lot of people who are listening to this might be overcoming some injuries or some surgeries or something and they're trying to get back into it. And following that more is better approach really isn't always better. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, I've had, yeah, I think that's, I think I've had so many people come to me with injuries. And I had this one girl who was a very gifted high school runner. I was on a cross-country team, had won all kinds of awards, and she was very good. And, and she gets older, goes off to college, you know, got, went to college on a, on, a, on a scholarship, runs all through college, but now she's up in her 30s, all right? And she's doing the same thing in her 30s that she did when she was in 20s. And she was always battling injuries and uh, was like yo-yo training. She'd get injured, uh, she'd recover, then she'd go back from injuries and go back at it hard again and get injured again, back and forth. So she comes to me and she wanted me to, you know, get her past these injuries and also, you know, figure out what was wrong and, uh, with her training and, and make her a little bit better. So I said, all right, well, describe to me what your training regime is. And she's, you know, telling me and I'm saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. When, when do you do your recovery runs? She goes, what's a recovery run? Right. <laughs> recovery? Know? What does that mean? <laughs> I said, we got a problem here. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's funny. Because, I mean, I always, here's, a, an, here's an MIRI report that I always carry around with me. I keep it in my folder. And whenever somebody comes up to me and says, well, gee, I'd like to do this, but I had this injury and I can't do this. Right. All right. And I said, well, this is an MRI report of my knee that I had done in 2008. Okay. And let, let me read this to you. This is the, the conclusion of the MRI. Tricompartmental degenerative disc disease, most severe immunity, complex care, posterior horn and body of medial, medial meniscus, meniscus, can't talk, torn ACL, partially torn PCL. Complex Baker cyst, osteonecrosis, lateral femoral chondroid. It's just uh, medical ease, meaning that the end of my femur bone is dead. All right? That is ridiculous. So I said, this was done in 2008. 2009, with nothing more than a Synvix injection into my knee, I started off the year uh, in New Orleans in April, and I won my age group at a half Ironman triathlon. 
four weeks later, I did an Olympic distance triathlon at one of the biggest uh, Olympic distance triathlons on the East Coast, won a Grandmaster Award. Wow. Four months after that, I did another half Ironman, came in second, and I finished off 2009 by doing three Ironmans in three months at the age of 60. Wow. So I said, this is the condition of my knee. That's why I accomplished on this knee. So don't tell me that you can't do something. Right. All right? I don't accept can't, and I don't accept I won't. All right? You can do any damn thing you want to as long as you get the proper training and you have the proper mental attitude. That's an awesome message. Yeah, you got to have a yeah, strong mindset to do all what you've accomplished with, with that knee. That's yeah. I have um, it's even worse than I thought it was. I, you know, I have a uh, I have uh, had a client, fifty uh, six year old female, three pack a day cigarette smoker. She qualified, uh, she won a, a half Ironman qualifying race and went on to compete in the half Ironman World Championships while smoking. No, she no <laughs> she she gave up smoking. Uh, so Just smoking as she was going, then you, then then you'd really be killing it. So 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 she gave so she gave up smoking and turned her life around. You know, and much like I had, uh, well, she used athletics uh, to offset you know the uh, the withdrawal symptoms of, of giving up the cigarettes. Right. Uh, I have a woman in three weeks um, in her in her early fifties. She's going to com- uh, be competing in Ironman Florida with two hip, and she's uh, she had two hip replacements. Wow. I had a woman come back. You know, uh, survive cancer. Uh, come back and you know do a triathlon. So you you basically you like uh, your forte, I guess you could say, would be coaching people who are overcoming you know these crazy injuries and illnesses and. Well, no, I mean, you know, I don't. I mean, I'm just. Those are some of the you know, examples, right? Most yeah. examples of this. I mean, you know, obvi- I mean, I have you know other clients that have gotten, you know, and, and had them qualify for the Ironman World Championships, you know, going to Kona. So, I mean, right. uh, so um, I have athletes who don't have issues, okay? Yeah. But, I'm, uh, but I, you know, I, I use that as an example, these people as an example that, you know, you know, in much like, you know, in my situation, I didn't let the handicaps that I have derail me and, and, Tell me that I, you know, couldn't do something. Right. Because if there's one thing that I've learned personally, and uh, another thing that I've learned by coaching people is that the human body is capable of phenomenal things. It really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, all you have to do is have the proper mental attitude and the proper training, and you, know, you can do pretty much anything you want. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, people, you know, a lot of times don't have the mental discipline. To stick with it, I mean. You know, so, how do you, you know, help your clients stick with it? Do you give them any tips or, like? Well, it's funny because I mean, to go back to the beginning again, um, as to how I became a coach, um, I had just come off or finishing the uh, my first uh, first time uh, just uh, going to the Army World Championships in in uh, in Hawaii and Kona. And a woman who owned a personal training business had heard of me and uh, sought me out, and she asked me if I wanted to be work for her as a personal trainer. And I said, "Well, why me? I mean, I'm you know I'm in my fifties. Uh, uh, what makes you think I'd be good as a personal trainer?" Now I had, like I said, at that time where I I had been working for the Leukemia Society, you know, team of training, right. coaching people. But she wanted me to be a, a personal trainer, 
And I said, you know, why me? She said, well, you know, not just because of what you've accomplished, you know, being top ten in the world, but because of your age. And it just so happened that a number of her clients that were, you know, up there in years, you know, past their 40s, um, had come to her and said that they wanted her to hire an older personal trainer. So when she asked, what's wrong with the trainer I have, you know, training you now? She says, well, nothing, but we have kids older than the person you have training us. Oh. So, it, you know, it's, you know, it's a little hard for us to relate to that. Plus, you know, we're thinking in the back of our minds, we're putting through this killer routine. We're thinking, yeah, it's easy for you to do. You're half my age, right? right. But if there was somebody up there at least their age, if not older, who are doing these things with them, then they would hold what they're t telling them to do with a lot more credibility. And that's so I talked to my wife and we were downsizing at the time while the kids were growing out of the house. Um, and, you know, my wife has a good job and agreed to support me in the lifestyle that I had become accustomed. <laughs> so so uh, she said, go for it. So that's that was um, in see, when was that? Two, um, 2007, 2008. All right. Um, and, uh, you know, it started me, you know, and then you know I started coaching people professionally and, and training people and, and and been doing it ever since. And I do it not I mean not out of you know from a monetary reward because I was making a lot more money in my previous profession, but a lot of people helped me over the years, and it's just my way of paying back. And I want to try to make sure nobody goes through what I've had to go through and have a doctor say, you know, after multiple operations, just say, well, you can't do this anymore. Right. And have them accept it. Well, you've, re you've recently had uh, open heart surgery, right? Yeah. So that's another... 14 months ago. Yeah, that's crazy. Another setback. Can you kind of talk about that that whole, uh, the surgery and the recovery after that? And Well, I have known my entire life, you know, from, from the very first time I went to a doctor and had a physical that I had a heart murmur. But, you know, we're talking about, you know, you know, 50, 55 years ago. I mean, so I was told at that time, a lot of people have heart murmurs, don't worry about it. So I didn't worry about it. And, you know, every time I would go to a doctor, oh, yeah, I get a little heart murmur, don't worry about it. So I didn't worry about it. Um, but in recently, well, it just so happens that I trained my doctor's wife. So every year I go in for a physical, and every year he would give me a, a prescription to get an echocardiogram done. And every year I would ignore it and throw it away. I said, you know, there's nothing wrong with my heart. You know, like I said, this far. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I did I did three Ironmans in three months at the age of 60. How bad could my heart be? Right. All right. You know, I've won all these races. I've achieved all American status from the United States Triathlon Association in the 50 to 55, 54 to 50, or 55 to 59, and 60 to 64 age groups over a 15 year period. You know, there's nothing wrong with me. So I just kept on ignoring it. But then I was uh, out on a long bike ride. This was 2014, uh, January, January of 2014. Um, I was, you know, I was going to turn 65 that year, and um, I was working seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And I read a survey from uh, that they did of hospice nurses, and they asked these hospice nurses to, you know, state the reasons. Uh, or the things that people regretted before they died. And number one uh, regret was, I wish I had worked so hard. And number two regret was, I wish I would have lived my life based upon what I wanted to do. Right. Now at that time, I was working full time as uh, endurance sports coach and personal trainer at Lifetime Athletic. I was also a spinning instructor and a group exercise instructor for them. 
and I had my own business that I was, you know, coaching people, you know, and I said, like, what the hell am I doing? I mean, you know, it's crazy. So I quit Lifetime as a personal trainer and as an endurance sports coach and just started focusing more on my clients. And I wanted to get myself back into shape because I hadn't done, after I did those three Ironmans in three months, I was pretty much fried, both mentally and physically. I would I, think so. I just took, I just, and I, and like I said, I've, I've been to the, I've been to the world championships twice. I didn't think I had anything left to prove in the sport. I, you know, reached the top and now I just wanted to go back and share as much of the knowledge I had gained over the last, you know, 20 years with as many people as I could. So I just immersed myself in my work. But two things happened. In 2014, uh, my wife said, I'm going for a long bike ride with some friends. You want to come along? I said, sure, why not? So I was going up a climb, and I was out in front of everybody else. I was going up a climb, and I started feeling dizzy. I said, all right, I'll just stop at the top and wait for everybody. That's the last thing I remember. Next thing I remember, I woke up on the opposite side of the road, face up, and all these people were looking down at me and saying, are you all right? Are you all right? Right. What, what the hell happened? Yeah, what the hell happened? So he said, well, we called an ambulance. So the ambulance came and they noticed a heart murmur. And he said, well, we want to take you to the hospital. I said, there's nothing wrong with me. I said, I didn't eat anything. Okay, there's obviously like, something wrong with you. You're back there. You're well, lying down on the floor. Well, you know, God, I was, we, we were riding. It was a 50-mile bike ride. I mean, we were 50 miles into a bike ride, and I had, like, one cliff bar the whole time. Right. So I just thought that I bunked. I just thought that my glycogen levels had dropped down and, um, you know, ran out, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and that was the reason that I passed out. So I said, as soon as I eat something, as soon as I drink something, I'll be fine. So if my wife wasn't nagging me enough before, she really started on me again. So as did my doctor. And like I said, I see my doctor all the time. And, you know, he says, you know, get the heart murmur, you know, checked down. I says, all right, I'll shut you people up. I'll get the heart murmur checked down. So I went and had the echocardiogram done, and my doctor's name is Mark. So usually when I have a test done, he'll say, Lou, I got your test back. Everything's fine. This time, he said, Lou, I got your test results back. Come into my office. Not good. <laughs> I go, what's up, Mark? He goes, I got your test results back. I goes, and what? He says, you have severe calcifitic aortic stenosis and a bicuspid valve. That sounds awesome. And Not so much. Yeah. I go, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, you're in deep shit. And he says, I want you to see a cardiologist. He says, as soon as you get done, and his wife's name is Amy. He says, as soon as you get done training Amy, I want you to call it, you know, a cardiologist. I go, all right. So I finished training Amy and walking out of the office. He comes up to me and goes, Lou, he says, this is serious. You know, don't screw around with this. Right. Call a doctor now. Uh, so I could really see the seriousness in his face. And I said, all right. So called up a cardiologist, went in and gave me a stress test. And the stress test just confirmed that um, I was in trouble, which was odd and difficult for me to accept because I felt fine. Right. All right, I passed out one time, big deal, all right. Um, but, you know, they really stressed upon me the seriousness of it. They said, you know, and they went through the whole thing that I was born with a bicuspid heart valve. And a typical heart valve has like three flaps to it to come come closed. Right. I only had two. And my, my, my aortic valve wasn't closing properly. And my heart was leaking. That was the reason for the, the murmur. Now, there's different types of bicuspid valves. I mean, some are more serious than others. Mine was of the more serious variety. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on which way you look at it, my heart through the athletics had compensated for this and masked, you know, the problems with this valve. If I was a couch, if I had continued on my couch potato lifestyle, I would have exhibited symptoms long before this. 
but my heart got bigger and stronger to compensate for it, and I didn't feel the symptoms that I would have felt, you know, normally at a, at a, at a younger age. So uh, they said it's not a question of if, you know, you got to get this operated on. So he gave me the name of a doctor, and I called up the doctor, uh, Doctor Brown, uh, John Brown, here at uh, Morristown, and. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, but he was head surgeon at the hospital, and I wasn't able to get an appointment for another two and a half weeks. So I called my cardiologist and said, you know, I made an appointment, but I'm not going to be able to get seen for another two and a half weeks. What do I do in the meantime? He goes, all right, well, t start taking the baby aspirin and keep your heart rate low. I said, all right, I can handle that. So I started taking the baby aspirin, but... The keeping the heart rate low is the hard part? <laughs> well, I, I didn't have a heart rate monitor. I mean, I mean, all the heart rate monitors I had, batteries were dead, I hadn't used them for years. And what's your definition of low? Yeah, well, so I, uh, from a perceived effort perspective, I was keeping my heart rate low. So I teach, like I said, I teach spin classes. So right. I was teaching a spin class on Saturday morning, July 21st. I'm sorry. It was 21st, 19th. No, I think it was 19th. All right. Anyway, teaching a spin class. And I started feeling a little dizzy, started feeling some pressure in my chest. I said, all right, I better back it down. Yeah, this is probably not good. I'll let you back it down. So that was Saturday morning. These you start playing the head games with yourself? <laughs> like, am I just thinking this, or is it really happening? Yeah, is this psychosomatic? Am I imagining this or what? So I, I backed it down. I took it easy. So that was Saturday morning. Sunday morning, my wife was, wife was actually doing a race, New Jersey State Triathlon, Olympic distance race. So I went down there to support her. Symptoms persisted through Sunday. When I woke up Monday morning, um, um, still had the symptoms. Called up my doctor and, and, and told him what had happened. He goes, "I want you to hot, go, hot, you know, come up here to Morristown and go to the emergency room and get these and get some tests done." So I hung up the phone with him and go, "I can get these tests done. I got clients to train. I can't be bothered with this now." I said, "I'll wait to noon time, all right, and I'll go and get the tests done, and I won't go to Morristown because that's like 20 minutes away. I'll just go to Somerset, right, you know, near, near my house, get these tests done, and I get I'll be at, back training my afternoon clients. No problem." So I go into the hospital at noontime, get the test done, and um, finish the test. And I said, all right, when can I leave? He goes, you're not leaving. I said, what do you mean? He said, we phoned your results into your doctor. He wants you transferred up to Morristown immediately. He said, as soon as the bed becomes available, you know, we're going to you know, take you up there. I said, well, so bed's not available now, right? He goes, no. I said, well, I'll go home, and when the bed becomes available, give me a call. He says, you're not leaving. <laughs> He didn't trust you. <laughs> you know, he didn't trust me. Okay. Well, the reason they didn't, well, uh, well, I don't, I, I didn't realize the seriousness of the problem. Number one. Number two, what I had was known as a silent killer. Um, like I said, if I was a couch potato, I would have felt symptoms. But because I was an athlete, I didn't feel any symptoms. I never, you know, I mean, yes, at the time I had a little chest pressure, but in general, I didn't. I felt pretty good. Um, but when. You, when I had this condition, when this uh, condition occurs in an athlete, you don't feel symptoms until you drop dead, and then it's then it's all over. Right, it's not good. It's not good. So it's it's known as a silent killer. I mean, I I don't know for sure of these athletes that you hear dropping dead during a marathon or triathlon whether they had the same condition I had, but. You know, it just it just hits you like a sledgehammer, and, and right. it's all. And it's over. not something you can really see. Like, no, yeah. no. Or, or it's so. like my brain injury. It's like you you can't yeah. see the problem no. that's going on in there. Yeah, you, know, you felt fine. You put you know, I, I, yeah, I can go back in and coach. No problem. You exactly. Know? Yeah. So, um, so this was Monday, July twenty first. They transferred me up to Morristown. I got it. I they checked me in at eight thirty at night on Monday. Tuesday morning, I saw my cardiologist. 
Wednesday morning, I saw the surgeon. He only had one question for me. This was like two weeks before my scheduled appointment in his office, right? He only had one question. You want tissue or mechanical valve? Right. That's, that's, that's it. No, no debate. You know, you're getting this. You're, and you're, so I said, all right, when they gave me my options, I chose the tissue. So Why is that? If I wanted a mechanical, the, the, the advantages of the mechanical valve are that they last forever. All right, this thing will never wear out. Yeah. All right, but and this is a big but. You got to go in Coumadin or some other kind of nasty blood thinner, and I've heard horror stories about this. Plus, if I was uh, to go into uh, make an appointment with my dentist just for a simple teeth cleaning, I'd have to go in a series of antibiotics because this is you know like a magnet for bacteria. Okay. So I didn't want to be hampered in any way with this. Plus, and then uh, the, the tissue valve. Now, the tissue valve, I wouldn't have had to have the blood, the blood thinners. I wouldn't need the antibiotics. I wouldn't need anything. All right, but it doesn't last as long. It's only they said 15 to 20 years. And then you gotta have the same surgery done again. And I'd have the same surgery done again. I'm 65 years old. If I live to 85, I'll worry about it then. Right. right? <laughs> But I didn't want to be hampered by all of these other negative things along, as, the, way, yeah. along the way associated with, you know, maybe if I was 20 years old, maybe that would have been a different story. But I was 65, so I said, give me the tissue valve and I'll, I'll roll, the, roll the dice for the next 15, 20 years and see what happens. So the bottom line is now I'm, I'm nothing. I mean, I, you know, I'm not any drugs, which, you know, I go to a doctor and, he's, and I tell him I had open heart surgery 14 months ago. And he said, all right, what drugs are you on? I said, nothing. I'm not taking anything. And he looked at me like I'm crazy. Right. You know, so, but I'm, I'm living. A, a, um, so what was the prognosis after you had the surgery? What, like, what did the doctor say that you, did he say you can go back to doing triathlons no, again? No, no, he didn't. And, and it was, I don't want, it's not similar to my knee issue, but. You know, so I said, all right, doc, you know, uh, how hard can I push myself for how long? Oh, no, you got to keep your heart rate low. I says, what's low? He goes, oh, like 130, 134 max, and don't exert yourself, you know, don't go for, for too long. That's not an answer, all right? Right. I, I mean, I, I had aspirations of competing again. Like I said, after 2009, I so didn't... What was it, so when he said that to you, was it like, did you kind of think about... Were you like upset that you did you think that just like your knee did you think that you couldn't do triathlons anymore or were you like no nah, I'm gonna find a way around this I'm, I'm gonna, gonna find a way around it okay uh, you know like I said I I don't accept no or can't from my clients I'm sure as hell not gonna accept no or can't from a doctor right. and I mean do you get nervous now that you when you train that you, he said that you shouldn't be doing this but you do it anyway to a certain extent I mean. You know, this goes, you know, this kind of screws with your head a little because, you know, you you know by being an athlete, you have an athlete mind. Nothing's going to happen to me. Exactly. I'm, I'm yeah. fine. Exactly I'm, I'm I Superman. Thought. I can do anything I want. Yeah. Okay. Now you got that, you know, seed in the back of your head that, you know, well, maybe, maybe it, I it can't. could happen you know, to me. You know? And, you know, you, you look down, you see the scar going from, you know, you know right below your, your, your Adam's apple down to just below your, uh, above your navel. It's a constant reminder every day that there it, might be something going on in there. Yeah. Um, so, but, I, I mean, I, I appreciate, doc, doctors saved my life, okay? Um, a doctor told me and, and how, that, what I needed to do to run properly again. So doctors have really been helpful to me. But 
unfortunately, we live in a highly litigious society nowadays, and 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 doctors are always getting sued. Right. Right. So the CYA, um, they're always going to dumb it down. All right, and they're always going to you know tell you not to do this, and not do that. You know, just because they don't, in case something does happen, they don't want to say, well, you know, he went against my advice and 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 did it anyway. But. I, I was fortunate, I found, you know, when I said, all right, you know, this may be his opinion, but I know that I can do this. All I have to do is find the right doctor to tell me what I need to do in order to get back at it again. Right. So uh, I found an organization called Ironheart. Ironheart was started by uh, an endurance athlete who had issues. And after he had the open heart surgery, he had questions just the same as I had. And he found out that there really isn't a whole lot of information out there for endurance athletes after they have heart issues. Because most endurance athletes who have heart issues are dead. So there isn't a whole lot of case studies done on them if you know, by chance they survive. Right. So, and, and probably the, the people who do survive are really conservative on their training afterwards? Well, yeah, they, they may listen to the doctor, yeah. and the doctor puts the fear of God into them and says, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, and they go, okay, I won't do this, I won't do that. Right. And they, and they give up, and they reduce their quality of life or give up what they love to do. I wasn't willing to do that. I wasn't re- willing to reduce or give up what I love to do or reduce my quality of life. Now all I had to do was find somebody to tell me what I you know, needed to do in order to do that. So through Ironheart, um, the founder of Ironheart called me up and uh, gave me a doctor's name and uh, asked me if I was willing to travel to Boston to see him. And uh, I said that I would, um, based upon his credentials. So I went up to Boston to Mass General, put me through a battery of tests, um, took me to max heart rate uh, on a cardiovascular uh, stress test, and. Um, said, all right, these are the heart rates that you can hold, which were over 20 beats higher than what my doctor down here told me to hold, and gave me the green light to do a triathlon. So four days shy of the one-year anniversary. What was it like to hear that? Well. That you could still do it? Or did you already kind of have it in your head that you were going to do it anyway? Well, I was already going to, I mean, you know, I was already going to do it anyway. I mean, right. he, he wanted he wanted me he wanted me to hold my heart rate between 130 and 134, and a year ago this weekend, Columbus Day weekend, my wife and I went up to Lake Placid and I hiked up some really arduous climbs, you know, up there hiking, and I went out for a bike ride. And my heart rate was over 150 multiple times, and I didn't drop dead. So all right, you know, doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, well, I mean. Any athlete who's ever achieved high results have always pushed the envelope. So that's just inherent in me. I'm going to push the envelope. Right. Um, but when a doctor up in, in, in Boston told me what I could do and gave me the green light, that just validated what I had already heard. And now, you know, obviously, he, you know, to, to, to cover his butt, you know, he said I had to have certain parameters put on this, all right, so, you know, I didn't go too crazy, but, um, you know, like four days shy shy of the one-year anniversary of my surgery, I did an Olympic distance triathlon, came in ninth out of 12 people, okay, wasn't last. That's Um, awesome, yeah. Crossed the finish line on my feet, you know, not on a stretcher. (laughs) Heart still beating. Heart still beating, yeah. Um, Although my blood pressure after the race was 84 over 55, so, you know. (laughs) 
that wasn't good. Although my he wanted me to hold my heart rate between 150 and 155, and I was above 160 most of the time. But I was close, right. and I with that margin of error. All right, but and then um, so then that was you know July July um, of the of this year, and then just this or two weeks ago on the 20th, uh, I finished a half Ironman triathlon. Wow. So, you know, 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike ride, 13.1 mile run. So. It's way more than I could do, I know that. Um, yeah, it's, like I said, I'm always gonna, I'm always gonna push the envelope, um, but as I had stated before, not, not every doctor knows the, the mind and the desire of an athlete. Right. And the body is capable of doing much, much more than a lot of people give it credit for. I mean, I have yet to hear a doctor tell me why the placebo effect works in 30% of the people. Exactly, yeah. Um, if, if you have a will, you'll find a way. And so the people that, that have come to me with issues um, or, or older, um, or uh, are handicapped in one way or another, I said, we can find a way around this. And I've also learned, you know, by being involved in athletics for over 26 years, that the body uh, changes as you get older. So, you know, the person who's 40 has to change the way they train than what they did when they were 30 and 40. Right. So, uh, so by just you know, you know, taking all of these changes in the human body under consideration and working with the person, because as I said before, the human mind is a powerful tool, and you need to utilize that in conjunction with all the rest of the training. And if the person wants to do it and has a desire of doing it, they can probably accomplish it. Now they may not win. I mean, but you know, they can certainly do it. I mean, uh, I've had people on numerous occasions come up to me and say, yeah, I'd like to do an Ironman, but, uh, you know, I, I can't do this or I can't do that. And I say, well, you know, can you swim? They go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, can, I can swim, I can doggy paddle, I can do this. And I said, well, an average swimmer can complete, it, you know, the 2.4-mile swim in about an hour and a half. All right, you know, that's some breaststroke, that's some doggy paddle, that's some freestyle, that's, you know, just keep on plugging away. Right. Um, an average cyclist, averaging 16 miles an hour, which isn't a whole lot for somebody who's trained a little bit, they can do the bike in seven hours. That's eight and a half hours. You have 17 hours to complete an Ironman. You could walk backwards and eight, and, you know, and, and still finish. And, and still finish. But, and this is a big but, but you have to have the mental discipline to be out there for a long, right, a long, long, long time. Day, yeah. So from a physical perspective, it's not that challenging. From a mental perspective, it is. Awesome. So I have a few more questions before okay. we close this out. Uh, the first one, uh, if so maybe people listening to this can't play the sport anymore, That if it's a contact sport or something like that, like me, I was not able to play football anymore, but they're looking for a new outlet. Um, what makes triathlons a, a good new outlet for someone in that situation? And kind of what, do you, what are your recommendations for getting started with that? Oh, that's simple. <sighs> Triathlon is very advantageous from an overall sport because it involves three separate disciplines. 
all of which have their own unique ad advantage. Um, a lot of runners switch over to triathlon or cycling because it's not weight, uh, it's a non-weight bearing sport. And if they're not a, a runner who has good biomechanics and has has trashed their knees, like uh, like in case of me, like I said, I can't I can't run consistently. So in order to keep myself active, I need two other sports, actually three other sports if you want to include weightlifting. And, and no matter, I, I, I can't overly emphasize this more. Whatever you do, it has to have a strength component associated with it. Right. And, that's, and, and that strength component becomes even more important as you get older because after the age of 30, you lose between three quarters and one percent of your muscle mass every year. So you have to offset that. It's especially important in women because with osteoporosis, you have to maintain that bone density. How do you maintain that bone density with weight bearing you know, and, and, and strength? Because you know those muscles that you develop are developing, you know, like I said before, are going to develop strong ligaments and tendons. Those strong ligaments and tendons are going to pull on their bones, and that's going to maintain bone density. But you know, so you have swimming. Swimming involves flexibility, non-weight bearing, okay, and it works your upper body. So the swimming works your upper body, works in your flexibility. Cycling, again, that's a way that you can get in long-distance cardio workouts. And it's, an, again, a non-weight bearing sport. Right, so you can really work around a lot of different injuries. Exactly. Because it, right. It because non-weight bearing. And, and, right. and, and in running, you know, you can only run maybe one day a week for a few miles. But because you can swim and you can bike, you can maintain your overall cardiovascular development. And then no matter what sport you're good at, there's probably one sport that you're not good at. And by challenging yourself... By doing something that you're, you're not, not good at, comfortable yeah. that's with, that's how you get better. At that's anything. how yeah. that's how you get better at anything. You yep. gotta you gotta push yourself past that comfort zone. Right. The only way to get you you're not way, gro yeah. I like the saying that you're if you're comfortable, you're not growing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So that there again, that's the advantage of triathlon because it involves three different sports. You can do things differently. You can you know mix and match. You know if if you're if you're good at you know running. Uh, you know, you can you know minimize that and maximize some of the other sports. Right. Again, so it, it has, and you know, you can just uh, you know do so many different things with it, and 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 you can grow with it. I mean, um, my my goal is I'm gonna be 66 next next month. It's gonna take me my different doctors that I've talked to. I've said it's gonna take me at least two years. To acclimate to this new cow valve I have inside of me right now, and to work my way back into you know shape again. So my goal is to qualify for the Ironman World Championships again when I'm 70. That's that's my goal. That's your goal, right? That's my goal. So having something to look forward to too helps you in the re your recovery. To challenge me, okay, yep. and, and to force me back into the gym. It's that carrot again. Exactly, yep. it's that carrot, and, and you know, um, you know. <sighs> You know, a study I just gave, I have a, a couple of clients that are in their 80s, and I just found this article that uh, they're now using exercise to help treat Alzheimer's disease. That there's, I've, I've known for some time there's this direct uh, correlation between physical activity and mental health. But now more and more studies have or found out, that. have found out there's, there's definite, you know, uh, positive benefits of exercise as it relates to your mental health right. and again 
you know, your mental decline is one of those kind of things that, you know, happens as you get older. Well, so, I'm, I'm in particularly worried about that with my mushy concussion brain that I got. <laughs> so I'll make sure that I'm staying active. Well, too. yeah, I mean, you've got to remember that your muscles do not do anything without your brain first telling it what to do. It's true, yeah. Uh, so the neurological so aspect of it. So, again, by working your brain by learning different things. And, and this goes back <clears throat> to what I was stating in the beginning about developing good biomechanics. By working on your biomechanics, and you, know, you said it yourself earlier, you never stop growing. So by perfecting your sport, whatever that sport may be, by becoming a better swimmer, by learning how to you know, cycle better, by becoming a better runner, whatever the case may be, by pushing your muscles harder, you're exercising your brain in, you know, in the process of doing that. So, you know, that's, that's going to help to keep, keep the brain young and, and keep you active. Right. Uh, all right, last question. I've been asking a lot of this same question to all the people that I have uh, as guests on the show. And I basically want to know, like, what your personal uh, definition of perseverance is. Like, what kind of person is that? Or what kind of person does it take to persevere and overcome obstacles? Um, the most important thing you can do to persevere is to eliminate the naysayers from your life. Right. All right. There, I mean, there's always going to be people around you telling you, you can't do this and you can't do that. Well, you got to distance yourself from them. All right. You, you can't, you can't have them adversely, you know, influencing you. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you do is never say no. You know, don't, don't take no for an answer. And fortunately I've learned, you know, through my life, that there's really nothing that you can't do. That, you know, the the thing that the thing that limits us, and this is I have a I have a t-shirt, and on the back of this t-shirt it says, A life lived in fear is a life half lived. Right. Yeah, I like that. People perseverance. That's gonna be the, the title of this uh, this <laughs> podcast. Uh, you know, fear is a limiting factor. People don't do something out of fear. You know, uh, what if I fail? What if I can't do it? What if it hurts? You know, I, what will people think? Right. They always have this fear. What, 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 whatever, whatever that fear is. But that fear limits what they can do. If you can eliminate fear from your life, and instead of and replace fear with an optimistic attitude, there's nothing you can't. Sky's do. the limit. Sky's the limit. Awesome. I think that's a great definition. Um, just to close out, where can people find you? Do you have a website? Or I know you're a trainer, so if someone's looking to get into doing triathlons, where can they find you? I, you know, it's funny. I was just, I want to get more. I wanted to get more involved in public speaking. I, I, I mean, I feel I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good trainer. I'm a good coach because of the results that my my clients have have gotten over the years. Right. But now that I've had this, you know, heart issue, mm-hmm. I feel that I have a broader message. That I would like to get out to yeah, people. Yeah, exactly what we're doing right uh, here. Right, now. right, exactly yeah. what we're doing here right now. So, so I want to get more into public speaking. So I met with this this woman this past week, yeah, you know, who is a public speaker, a motivational speaker. Um, and I said, you know, what have you done? You know, what advice can you give me? She says, you need a website. And I said, you know, I've been, had people numerous times, you know, tell me to get a website, and I've always resisted doing right. it. It's really easy, right, at this point in time, it, to like. It it, it it is easy, but I kind of limit what I do 
in other words, you know, the old saying, you know, the more singing you try to hold in your hands, the more slips between your fingers. Yeah. I want to make sure that the people that I work with, I can make them the best that they can be. And right. If I, you don't want to overdo it. And if I dilute myself too much, right. then I'm not going to, you know, do the best job that I can. So I've always, you know, some, limited myself to a certain extent. But now that I quit Lifetime and, and have this extra time on my hands, I'm, you know, going to develop the website and I'm going to get into it. Right now, even an email address if you have. I yeah, can put that in the show uh, notes. Then uh, could, the uh, best way is, uh, is, is try fitness coaching um, at gmail.com. That's T R I F I T N E S S C O A C H I coaching. At, okay. You know, at, at Gmail, and I'm going to give you. Um, I'm going to um, email you that eight components. Of, okay. Yeah, I'll post that up there too. Uh, you know, and my my email address is on there also. Or you can call me uh, or text me. Uh, I'm kind of old school with that, you know, 908. I don't know if you want to do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this could be far-reaching. Okay, I, all right. Yeah. All right. I just don't want people, like, in China, like, calling <laughs> you, like, prank calling you at 4 o'clock in the morning or something. I, I have had clients uh, in Australia. I've had co- I coach people in Australia. All right. I have, I've kind of, I have clients right now. I coach clients. Yeah, as, we'll as, stick with the email address for yeah, now. I feel yeah. like that's a safe bet. <laughs> no, I have clients as far west as California and as far south as Florida um, that I that coach online. Yeah, I think yeah. Once you get that website, you'll be uh, you'll be good. Yeah, um, like I said, I'm uh, I'm finally gonna you know. Don't be afraid. Drag, drag. No fear, right? <laughs> drag, drag. Get it done. Well, it's like I said, it wasn't a it wasn't a fear. For me, it was a fear. Yeah, for dilution. Yeah, dilution, and and I guess you could call it fear. You know that. You know, what if I have to tell a client that you know, gee, I'm going to have to limit. You know, you know, right. spending time with you or you know something like that. Yeah. So, but uh, so far I've been able to manage that adequately, and I don't take any more clients on that I can adequately handle. So it's it's been good up to this point. All right, Lou. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come here for no, the for the interview. No and problem. It was a, a great message for the audience. All right, appreciate All right. it. Thanks, Lou. All right, well. Before you even take those little itty bitty five pound eight ounce baby earbuds out your ears, make sure you give us a follow on Instagram at Heads and Tails. That's head like your head the letter N, and then tail spelled T-A-L-E-S. Also make sure to share this with all your friends and subscribe on iTunes. See you next week.